0: Okay, Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in Mark chapter 2 and spend most of our time this morning in the gospel of Mark. We started a series on Mark just a few weeks ago, and we're planning on studying through the gospel of Mark all the way up until around the holiday, Christmas time, after Thanksgiving. And as we study through Mark, we don't want to just have a normal old Bible study. We want to try to imitate Jesus. We want to reflect what we see in Jesus and some of the patterns and characteristics and habits and spiritual disciplines that we see in the life and the teachings of Jesus. So we're going to have some church-wide challenges as we go along. So right now it's fall. We're transitioning from uh, out of summer into fall. Seasons are changing. So that means some of you might be coughing or sneezing. How many of you, as soon as you start coughing or sneezing, you go to the doctor? Does anybody go right away? Because right, you probably know your body, you know I'm sick. How many of you, when you get sick, you don't have a very good gauge on that and you usually wait until it's almost too late? Is anybody like that? That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Usually I wait until it's almost too late. Uh, I worked with a guy several years ago. Uh, I showed up for work one day and he was in his office. It was the middle of the summer, 95 degrees outside and he's in his office with a heavy blanket over him shivering. And I said, I think you might be sick. You should probably go to the doctor. And he argued with me that he was not sick, his body temperature was just off, and that he was fine. Okay, so I I went into my office, and then I heard as everybody else came in that day, watching him shiver with his heavy blanket, and everybody said the same thing maybe you should see a doctor. And he said the same thing no, I'm fine. And then a little bit later on in the morning, Uh, We walked outside, and we saw that he was standing outside with this heavy blanket on, 95 degrees, probably 100% humidity, still shivering. So we said, you need to go to the doctor, and we finally convinced him that he needed to go to the doctor, and he did. And about an hour later, he called back up at the church, and he said, well, they're admitting me into the hospital. Apparently, I have a massive infection in my body, and he spent the next two days in the hospital. He was very sick. He was just the last person to find out that he was sick. Not all of us have a gauge on that, of knowing maybe our own condition. As we study through Mark, and we land in Mark chapter 2 this morning, uh, right in the middle there, Mark 2, verse 13 through 17, Jesus extends these famous words, follow me. And this time, he extends these words to a guy named Levi. We might know him in church tradition as Matthew. He's a tax collector. You've heard me say it before, you've probably studied it on your own, tax collectors were hated. Uh, Levi probably worked for Herod, Herod the Great's sons, collecting taxes, maybe at the border when people would cross. Herod worked for Rome, so that means Levi worked for the enemy group, collecting taxes, probably making some of his own profit So that means when people would pass by his tax booth, he probably did not greet a lot of people that were happy to see him. And then here on this day, Jesus walks up and he says, follow me. So he does. He leaves his tax booth behind and he follows Jesus. And then right after that, Jesus is having dinner with Levi and his other sinful friends his other tax collector and sinner friends, and they're all sharing table fellowship together. And I've mentioned, as you read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, you can see how much of it takes place at a dinner table. And to share table fellowship with someone meant that you were associating with that person. You accepted that person. So Jesus is eating with the wrong people, and then guess what? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, are outside complaining and grumbling, and they're saying, why does this guy eat with the wrong people? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And then in Mark chapter 2, in verse 17, there's this famous line where Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What a great statement. What a great response. Yeah, that makes sense. The tax collectors and sinners, you know, that's what their title is. So in this verse, in this metaphor that Jesus uses, he is the doctor. And he is going to the sick. It makes sense for a doctor to go be around people who are sick, people who need them. So in this scenario, in this short story in Mark chapter 2, you have tax collectors and sinners. And you have Pharisees. Religious leaders. And Jesus says there are those who are sick. So my question is, who are the sick? Who are those who are sick? Is it the sinners and the tax collectors? Or is it the Pharisees? Or is it both? Are they both sick? Are they both sinners? Just the main difference is one group realizes it and the other group doesn't. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're broken. They're broken people. They're sinful people, but yet they don't see it. They think that they can rely on their own righteousness, their own willpower, to be right with God. And their name, Pharisees, means the separated ones. So they live their lives showing how they are more righteous, more pure, and keeping the law of Moses than everyone else around them. They're sick. They're sinful, they just don't realize it. Um, In 12-step recovery programs, like Alcoholics Anonymous or things like that, they go through these 12 steps, and the first step is to admit your condition. Your life has become unmanageable. You're powerless over whatever it is that has controlled you. And until you can admit that, until you can come to grips with that fact that you need help and you can't do this on your own, you're not on the road to recovery. So it's that first step. And in this scenario, it's like one group realizes it. Yeah, we're broken people, we're sinful people, and we need a Savior. And the other group doesn't realize it at all. Last Sunday, I challenged you uh, with 15 minutes of quiet time. 15 minutes of alone time with God. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. We see him going off to be alone with God. So that was your challenge And We're going to offer challenges along the way as we study through Mark, but here's the deal with these challenges. We don't want these to just be a sermon point because it's nice for sermons to have a practical challenge. We want this to be something that not only you actually go and you practice, but this is something that you uh, share with others. Uh, something that maybe you get with your connect group and you hold each other accountable and you share your experiences. So I challenge you to spend 15 minutes alone with God without distractions for the last week. And right now we want to share some examples with you. And I'm going to invite the Bowers up and we're going to come up here and I'm going to ask them how their experience went this past week with their 15 minutes of alone time with God. So if you all don't know, This is Joe David and Stephanie Bowers, many of you know them, Uh, they are married to each other (laughs) and they received this challenge uh, really before I preached the sermon last week so they already knew about it and so they've been practicing this each day. What we want to do is I'm going to ask them a few questions about how this went and then you're going to get a chance to listen to their perspectives and how it looked different for each one of them they live in the same household but the way that they practice this look different so uh, thank you for being here welcome okay the first question is the where and the when uh, where was your solitary place where did you practice your 15 minutes and when what time of the day
1: so for me i'm usually the first person up in the house uh i'm usually up five five thirty ish uh so i like to do it first thing in the morning uh that's just easier for me. I feel like it kind of helps to get my mind right first thing in the morning. So usually early before anybody else is up. Um, and I have a desk in our family room. And so I just like to have it right there at the desk. My Bible's there already. And so that's, that's where and when I did it.
2: I am not the first person up in our house. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. And so... I don't do it as early as he does. I do try to do it first thing in the morning. And if I'm being super intentional about it, I do try to get up 15 or 20 minutes earlier than I'd like to because <laughs> I feel like it's more of a sacrifice that way. And I do it different places. I like to be outside. So if it's pretty weather, I'll do it in a glider on our porch. I've done it in my room on the floor. Um, I have a chair in our living room from, that was my papa's chair, and I like to sit in that chair. It's kind of set aside. So I am kind of all different places, depending on the day.
0: All right, awesome. So we have two morning people, different places. For me, mornings don't work too well, so I have to do it later on in the day. Uh, so that's the where and the when. How did it look? How did you set yourself up uh, for your quiet time? Did you have a Bible, not have a Bible, bring a timer, not bring a timer, yoga mat, no yoga mat? What, you know, <laughs> what did it look like? How did you set yourself up for your quiet time?
2: Uh, I usually start with silence. I actually started doing this, I told Jody in January and February. Now, I haven't done it consistently since then, but it was at the recommendation of a counselor I go see. And my mind just doesn't quit. goes and goes and goes. And so she wanted me to practice starting my day with quiet and silence to just kind of center and ground myself. So I start there, just sitting and then I'll move either to maybe a prayer or Bible reading. Sometimes I journal. Uh,
1: for me, uh, I, I'm very time-focused and task-focused. Uh, so I knew that if I had my phone beside me, I would be constantly looking to see, okay, how many minutes do I have left? Uh, how far along am I? So, but I have my Bible reading plan on my phone. <laughs> so I get up, go to the coffee maker, make my coffee. And then look up my Bible reading plan, but then leave my phone beside the coffee maker. So intentionally leave my phone in the kitchen so I'm not tempted to look at it or look and see what time it is. Uh, So then, so it's just me, my Bible's already at the desk, and my cup of coffee. And that's it.
0: Good. And you all get bonus points because I said not to bring your phone (laughs) in the challenge last week. So good job. Uh, One last question on the logistics of this. The challenge was 15 minutes. Does 15 minutes feel too long, too short? Were you uncomfortable? I can use my own example. The first day I did it, I set a timer, put it in the other side of the room, took my Fitbit off. Um, and about 30 or 45 minutes later, I was like, man, my timer is not working. Like, this didn't set up right. So I went and looked at it, and it had been 12 minutes. And I thought 15 <laughs> minutes was going to be – this is a true story. and I was like, wow. That's, I thought 15 minutes was going to be easy. How did you all feel with the 15 minutes?
1: Yeah, so I'm usually right around 15 20 minutes, um, it was pretty consistent for me, so,
2: yeah, I was the same way, but I also want to add that when I started doing this back in January and February, I felt a lot like I feel right now, my heart, I was very aware of my heart racing, and my racing thoughts, and my breathing, um, was not calm, and so I found that if I, if I was uncomfortable, if I focused first on just kind of deep breathing, the kind where your stomach, you know, moves, you're not shallow breathing, if I practiced that for a few minutes, then I could really appreciate the silence and kind of dig into that. I naturally also kind of go about 20 minutes. I didn't use a timer, but I did note when I started so I could know how long I'd gone.
0: Okay. So the 15 minutes didn't seem like forever. It, di-
2: it did it when is. I first started doing it. Okay, It's the process.
0: Well, there's there's kind of a glimpse into where they did it, when they did it, what it looked like, the the length, you know, that was the challenge, 15 minutes. Uh, But the root of why we're doing this is for our own relationship with God, for us to deepen our love for God. So here's a few questions that relate to that. Um, How is God working on you through this quiet time? Uh, What would you have missed out on had you not spent this time alone with God? How is he working on your heart?
2: Well, I like that you used the word broken a few minutes ago in your sermon because that's something I've kind of realized about myself and the way my mind works and what I focus on. And so what I find is when I'm consistently completing this quiet time, and I'm talking about kind of over a long period of time, probably not after a week. But what I began to notice is that it was kind of the anchor, the reference point that I had the rest of the day when things got annoying or things became difficult, I could reference back to that as opposed to just kind of being tossed back and forth by my circumstances or reacting in a way that wasn't good. Um, it, it convicted me uh, of my need for him because I saw kind of how ugly I could be throughout the day. And um, it also just made me more aware of his presence and his blessings. So it was my reference point for the rest of the day instead of just relying on my own
1: power yeah, and I'd say similarly uh, for me, I mean but I think the goal that all of us have, hopefully is that you know're it makes us mindful throughout the day, you know that our minds naturally go to God and what He wants of us and his presence, um, and I'm a long way from that, but I do think doing it the first thing in the morning helps to encourage that. I will say one thing that i've I've noticed is that um, it feels like scripture comes to mind more often. The more, you know, if it's a consistent daily thing, that scripture's kind of naturally <laughs> come up if you've spent time in the word and spent time with God. One thing that was hard for me is that, like I said, I'm very task-oriented. So it's like, okay, I'm going to pray right now, then I'm going to move to the Bible reading portion of it. Uh, and just the silence is really hard for me because uh, I feel like it's, okay, what am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be thinking about? And so it's, whereas it's really more just kind of a passive thing and more of kind of a listening thing, which that's really hard for me um, because I kind of go through the exact same kind of prayer routine, scripture reading routine, and so the idea of just sitting there feels really weird to me. Uh, So one thing I tried this week a couple of times was after I did my prayer and my Bible reading, I just went and got on the treadmill, and so it's kind of like it made me just stay in one place, like just walking, and it was kind of like built in, okay, you got nothing to watch or listen to. And just kind of, kind of be quiet, silence. Yeah, just kind of being quiet and and listening. So
0: neat. So that's kind of a different place, also, is on the treadmill. Um, So the last, I guess, big question is: you know, I've already talked about how is God working on you through this. We see that kind of sets the tone for your day. Scripture comes to mind throughout the day. Um, While you practice this, here's, I guess, a big question. It may not be easy to answer, but how do you feel the love of God? And then maybe how does it increase your love for God through being alone with him?
1: Yeah, so the, the big thing that I've, I was thinking about that question, uh, the thing that I've noticed is, especially through my prayers, because I have not had a very consistent daily prayer habit until probably the last like three or four months. I feel like it's been a little more consistent. And taking the advice of our esteemed preacher, I started uh, praying the Lord's Prayer, kind of at the start of my prayer, just to kind of, you know, it's an easy place to start, and then kind of go from there in my own personal prayers. But uh, lately I've been thinking a lot with praying the Lord's Prayer, just the idea that he is holy, you know, his name is hallowed, the kingdom is his. And so just, I've been focused a lot on that, just how awesome and powerful he is, and I feel like that naturally You know, that kind of evokes love for him. But then also when you're praying the same stuff every day or praying for the same person every day and then you see prayers answered. I mean, that naturally, I think, the response is look at the love of God. You know, look how much he loves us.
0: Yeah, awesome.
2: I think mine is simply just that not only am I drawing closer to God intentionally, I think even more powerfully I feel him drawing me closer to him. I don't know if the differentiation makes sense, but uh, it's almost like a hug, I guess. (laughs) And I just feel that more intensely when I spend this quiet time with him and if it's how I start my day.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, those are my main set questions I had for you guys. Uh, Do you have any questions for me? I think I put you on the spot with that one. All right. Let's thank Joe David and Stephanie for coming up here and joining us. So now you get a glimpse into this challenge that we had last week. We have at least two people who have done this. And so my question is, how did it go for you? Did you do it? Did you remember to try to put this challenge into practice? Or did you leave Sunday and completely forget because you're not used to actually taking it and doing something with it? Or did you try to practice it and you did it for a few days and then you got busy and kind of forgot? You know, what was it like for you... To try to do this challenge, and here's your challenge for this week is to try it again. All right, next, we're not meeting with your connect groups tonight, so next Sunday morning you're gonna meet with your connect group, and we want that to be a place where you hold each other accountable, you share your experiences, just like we heard from Joe, David, and Stephanie, what it was like for them, where they did it, and you know how God is working on them, what God is teaching them through it. So we wanna use connect groups as a place to do that. So my challenge to you this week, Just like the sinners and the tax collectors, we're all in the same boat. We are broken people in need of God. And if Jesus needed to spend 40 days alone with God, if Jesus needed to wake up in the morning and get away from the disciples and everyone to spend time with God, then how much more do we need this time? So write this challenge down and really try to practice it each day this week. And we're going to continue a short little study through Mark chapter 2 as we wrap up this morning. In Mark chapter 2, and we've already looked at one story, but Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1 all the way through Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, there's five controversy stories. And we're not going to read through them in detail. Some great stories in there, some great little nuggets you could take from this, but I encourage you to read it on your own. But I'm just going to give you the big picture for just a quick moment. In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there's a healing controversy. There's a man who's paralyzed... His friends want to place this guy in the presence of Jesus because they know that Jesus can do something about it. But there's these large crowds. So they climb up on the roof, tear a hole through the roof, and lower the paralyzed man down on a mat. I mean, that's a good friend. Like, who in your life needs to be in the presence of Jesus? And are you willing to go through all that To place them into the presence of Jesus. So they do this for this man. And the first thing Jesus does, after his lesson is interrupted, is he doesn't heal him physically. He says, your sins are forgiven. But that's a problem. That's a controversy because all the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, they say, who is this guy to forgive sins? Only God can do that. So Jesus, showing his authority to be able to forgive sins, then he heals the guy physically. So the guy who was lowered through the roof, who could not move on his own or take care of himself, picks up his mat and he walks out. Well, his sins are forgiven. He's been forgiven deep down within him, but it's a controversy. And then the story we looked at in verses 13 through 17, it's an eating controversy. It's a controversy over who Jesus is sharing table with tax collectors, and sinners, and that's a problem with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And then in the middle there, chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, it's a fasting controversy. They come up to Jesus and they say, you know, our disciples fast, and we have certain times each week that we fast, that we've set aside to fast. John's disciples fast. Why do your disciples not fast? So now they're challenging Jesus not only on forgiving sins, not only on who he's eating with, but when and where his disciples fast. And then at the end of chapter 2, there's another eating controversy. This is on the Sabbath day. In chapter 2, verse 23 through 27, his disciples are walking through a grain field and they're, and they're plucking some grain and they're eating them. And then you have the Pharisees again. And they have this watchdog mentality. I mean, how often do you sit around a grain field on a Sabbath day waiting to see who's going to pluck some and eat it? So, I mean, we, we have churches like that. We have people like that with these watchdog mentalities looking to see where people are going to mess up and do something wrong. So they're watching Jesus, they're watching his disciples, and they say, ah, they're eating, they're working, they're plucking on a Sabbath, that's wrong. And at the end of chapter 2, Jesus reminds them, man was not made for Sabbath. But Sabbath for man, and then he says, The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. But there's another eating controversy, and then at the beginning of chapter three, we have our fifth controversial story, and this time it happens in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. There's a man there who's crippled with a withered hand, and Jesus knows the thoughts and the intentions of the Pharisees. So he takes this man with a withered hand, and he said, What's right? Should we do harm? do evil to save life or destroy on a Sabbath day and they're silent so what does Jesus do he heals the man and then in verse 6 of chapter 3 the Pharisees get together with the Herodians their enemies and they form an unlikely alliance on how they can destroy Jesus how they can kill him and you see this structure you see this flow from Mark chapter 2 through Mark chapter 3 and A lot of people consider Mark a literary genius, the way that he structures the story. And in this story, it's kind of a sub-story of the larger story, where Jesus is being falsely accused, like we'll see in the cross. They're accusing Jesus of not following their rules, not following the law the way they've set it up. Even though at the end of chapter 1, when Jesus heals a man with leprosy, he says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded. Jesus shows his love for God. Jesus shows his love and obedience towards the law. But where's the problem in all this? The problem is the Pharisees, the religious people, the separated ones, what is driving them, what their motivation is, is their love for the rules. Their love for the laws. They have created a whole set of laws So that they can know how to obey the law of God. And what they've become focused on is the rules for the sake of the rules. And what they've missed out on is a relationship with the God behind the rules. And we're in danger of doing that too. You know, it's easy for me to read through the Gospels and look at the Pharisees and say, look at what they did wrong But I think about my own life, I think about other Christians that I know, and how often do we fall in love with an experience? You know, we can fall in love with a tradition or a church tradition, fall in love with a church camp or a mission trip or whatever experience it may be, and fall in love with that tradition or that experience, but still not coming out of it, finding God. So what was driving Jesus to do what he did was his love for God. God was his first love. There was a man named John who went to a bank one day to make a bank transaction. And he went up to the front desk and explained to the lady working there what he needed to do and who he needed to see. And she said, well, the guy that you need to see isn't here today. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. And he said, that's fine. I'll come back tomorrow. Can you validate my parking? And she said, no, the rules say that you have to make a bank transaction for us to validate your parking, and you didn't make a bank transaction. And he said, well, can you make an exception? Because I came here to make a bank transaction, and it's not my fault that the person I need to see isn't here. And she said, I'm sorry, rules are rules, we are not going to validate your parking. And he said, I'll tell you what, I will make a bank transaction, I'm going to close my account. And then she's going to validate his parking. And he closed his account. His name was John Akers. He was the chairman of IBM, and his account was worth over $1.5 million. So the bank suffered a pretty big loss that day. But she kept the rules. She wasn't going to validate his parking unless he made an official bank transaction. But what she missed was the purpose behind the rules in the first place. It's so that people don't abuse the parking lot that was there, the parking garage and then just get their friends or their businesses to validate their parking so they can use the parking for their own purposes. The parking garage was there for people who were using those businesses, and he was using that business. She missed the whole point of why there was a rule to begin with. And I think that's the growing problem we're seeing in Mark. As you have these religious leaders who are entrusted with influencing God's people, and then you have God himself in the flesh... And they're more focused on these little rules that they've created than the people they're leading. And here comes Jesus. He respects the law. He loves God. And the reason that he loves God, what flows out of that is his willingness to heal and touch a leper, his willingness to heal someone and forgive their sins, his willingness to eat with the wrong people so that he can reach them, What Jesus does and why he does it is not just because there's rules and traditions. He does it because God is his first love. And the Pharisees, they don't see their own brokenness. They don't see their own need for a physician. So they do what they do because they're obsessed with their old ways of doing things. But what we see in Jesus is that God is his first love. And that's why we see him getting up early in the morning to go spend time with God. That's why we see him loving people the way that he does. Because what is driving him, what his motivation is, is his first love, and that is God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today humble. Father, we worship, we sing, we take communion. But Lord, we're never going to get everything exactly right and you love us anyways, and Lord, we just come before you as sinful people in need of your love and grace and your spirit, and I thank you for giving us that through Jesus, and I pray that as we're on this journey together, as we spend quiet time alone and then share together how those things go, as we try to study your word and try to reflect the life that you've given us to live in Jesus, and I just pray that you will give us the wisdom and the strength to know how to do this and what this life looks like. Father, guide our church, guide our hearts. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now we're going to offer a chance for you to respond. If you need to grab one of our shepherds, it's said every week, it's in the bulletin, but we're going to have some shepherds around this room and you can go talk with one right now. You can spend some time in prayer. You can come up front. If you need any prayer requests, if you need to come up here and see us, Take this opportunity right now. Let me invite you to stand back up, and we're going to sing a few more songs.